is the New South Wales Country Hour with Kim Honan on ABC New South Wales. Good afternoon. Thanks for your company. In the next hour. Last night we had the rain. Believe it or not, the night before there was a small fire 10 kilometres north of here. So, yeah, I think Banjo Patterson summed it up well with his poem, didn't he? Surely did. We'll hear from a Riverina farmer and head to the state's far west and check on the rain there. We'll head to the southeast and check in with the farmer there on the fires. And on fires, it can have a huge impact on Australia's smallest livestock, bees. We'll hear from the country's largest producer. You can text me today on 0467 922684. Tell me what it's looking like at your place. Well, let's get uh, to the state emergency service to check in on what's happening with those conditions across uh, mainly the southern part of the state. Chief Superintendent Ben Pickup is the Southern Zone Commander. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. What sort of damage have we seen overnight with that rain? The rainfall overnight, we've seen 81 calls for assistance in the community. A lot of damage from... Um, parts of roofing hit by destructive winds, trees down from high winds, as well as leaking roofs and some flash flooding in communities, particularly out west, as we saw that rain band move through the Western Riverina overnight. And how many call-outs did the SES have? So we had 81 requests for assistance overnight. Yeah, and mainly in that uh, Western Riverina area? Yeah, Western Riverina and in, in the south, southern part of New South Wales from those winds as they moved over the Alps last night. Mm. And what sort of um, flooding? Was it mainly flash, flash flooding? Have we seen any riverine flooding yet? Yes. We've seen some flash flooding out around the Denny and Hay area and riverine flooding is still a risk in the upper Murray, Murray around Corowa and Mitamita as we see those accumulations move forward. We also saw significant rain in Victoria which um, contributes to the inflows into the Murray River. And uh, what... Uh uh, warnings do we still have in place at the the moment? So it was sort of severe weather warning in place for damaging winds and heavy rainfall, which covers parts of the Illawarra south coast snow mountains, as well as across southern New South Wales, with key areas of focus for us being the eastern Riverina and southwest slopes area. We expect to see the heaviest rainfall um, with the potential for flash flooding this afternoon and into the evening. And on the rainfall, what sort of figures are we hearing? In the Western River last night, we received between 50 and 72 mils around the Hay and Denny area, right down into Victoria where we saw falls in excess of 100 mils. And we can expect those similar totals to occur in the Eastern Riverina and Southwest Slopes as we move into this afternoon and the evening. So still a fair bit of concern around that region? Yeah, it definitely is and continuing to monitor those areas and just provide warnings out to the community as those weather conditions continue to develop and pass over the region. Yeah, and what other areas across the state are of concern to the SES? So continuing to monitor the um, central west, we're likely to see some severe thunderstorms this afternoon, which could lead to some damaging and destructive wind gusts, as well as some isolated heavy rain and hailstones. And continuing in the Illawarra and south coast area with the damaging potential for damaging winds and that rainfall as it contracts over to to the east of the state on Thursday. And what's your advice for homeowners and landholders, uh, livestock owners in those areas across the state who are likely to be impacted by that heavy rainfall, damaging winds? We encourage landholders why it is welcome, welcome rain for, for them just to ensure that they've 
move their pumps and livestock away from rivers and streams, uh, the rainfall can quickly cause these to, to flood and levels increase, so keeping their assets away from those waterways and encourage homeowners, as we see the damaging wind gusts, just to make sure they've done their preparation in the yards ahead of time. They've secured items that could likely be thrown, like trampolines, kids' play equipment, and having their gutters clear so that any rainfall can drain away without causing damage to their property. And do you have any extra resources on the ground in preparation for these conditions worsening? Across southern New South Wales, we've deployed additional high-clearance vehicles straight down to Albury and in Shemmet, as well as a rescue helicopter, which is now in place down at Albury, and additional in-water flood rescue teams across the southwest slopes area and into the southern south coast. And we continue to monitor. Yeah, and anything else you wanted to report? I would just encourage people to stay up to date with the latest warning information from the Bureau of Meteorology on and the Hazard Watch app for the latest warnings from the New South Wales SES. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. That is the Southern Zone Commander for the SES, Chief Superintendent Ben Pickup. And uh, for emergency help in floods and storms, you can ring your local SES unit on one three. Two five double zero one three two five double zero. It is ten past twelve. Kim Honan, with you on the Country Hour. Well, keen to hear the rainfall that you have had. You can text me on zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. And while you're busy shooting me your double digits, let's head to Maragoni Danilquin, where there's been a significant amount of rain overnight, as you've just heard. There, crop farmer. Mike Gattaca recorded 70 millimetres in 12 hours on his property. He spoke to Connor Burke a little earlier. Well, it's been a fantastic rain, Connor, um, especially the way it's fallen. It's come down vertically. It's not horizontally and hasn't damaged any of the crops. It's, and it's been slow and steady, even though we've had a total of 70 mils. Um, I don't think it's done any damage to the crops or to the uh, native pastures here. So are you a farmer, Mike? Yes, I am, yeah. I'm mainly cropping uh, the last few years. And um, we've had a pretty good season, really, even though uh, the Bureau of Met has been forecasting continually El Nino. We haven't had a lot of rain, but the rain that we've had has been very useful. And this particular rain, it, ideally it might be two or three weeks too late uh, for cropping, but it, it's not too late. It's going to mean that all the crops will fill and we'll have good quality grain and, uh, you know, a lot more revenue from those crops so the money will will be spent in the district and um, it's good for the whole river and whole community so yeah tell us exactly how much you've had and you know kind of when it started raining uh we've had about um 120 mils for the year to date and um the best rain we had was in june we had about 69 mils in june and that's when all the crops germinated but either side of that the showers that we've had have not been you know really useful so we've only had that June rain and um, last night's rain that have um, cemented the season for us. And so it started raining at your place, you said, about seven last night. Um, how much have you had overnight? I've had 70 mils in 12 hours, and it's still light showers now. So, I mean, how much now will be too much of a good thing? You know, if it keeps, if you know, continues to rain, I mean, they're predicting in some areas, maybe you've had your lot, but they are predicting in some areas 50, 60 mil today and even potentially 100 in spots if where there's some storms. Um, they're a bit worried about flash flooding uh, uh, again out, out your way. Um, yeah, how much will be too, you know, too much of a good thing for you? Well, I think most of the rain 
has um, cleared from here. And um, the, the rain that you're speaking of, the heavy rains to come today, I think, are further east and especially up in the hills. And that could prove um, all sorts of problems and disastrous for some, unfortunately, that um, would be influenced from the runoff from those from those rivers like the Mitter and the King and the Ovens, and which are, the rivers are all high at the moment and the dams are full. And um, I guess there's going to be a lot of the lower country that will get flooded, and that's very unfortunate. So no no worries about your way of you know flash flooding later in the day. No, not here. No, we're in um, sort of open plain country and, and away from the rivers, and not in low lying ground. So look, there's there's minimal damage here. The only damage that we've had is probably rain on where we've irrigated some crops, and now that's too much rain. But look, that's only us. 10% of the of what, of what we've planted anyway. So um, the benefit on the other 90% is tenfold. That is Marigo Farmer, Mike Gattaca, speaking there with Connor Burke. Well, let's head to the states far west where much-needed rain has fallen across parts of the region. Stations to the south and north of Broken Hill have recorded around 20 millimetres since last night. Paul Martin runs Mulga Valley Station and told Andrew Schmidt the 16 millimetres recorded puts them over 101 millimetres for the year. This brings us just to, I think it's 101 mils for the year so far. So, so we're still a bit under, under average, but uh, it's still a quick responding country. This It's, it's, a, it's only 160 rainfall country at the best of times, I think. But uh, no, it'll, it'll certainly help things along a bit because it was, I think the last rain we had was in back in June. So it's, uh, it's very, a very welcome relief. Did you have any water in your dams there, Marto? Yeah, the, the house tank's still, it's about three quarters full. That filled up last summer. And that uh, out of the, comes that runs out of the western side of the barrier ranges through Cantapa. And we, they had some very good rains up there, and that filled our house tank last year. But this probably won't run any water into that many. But the, this is a very flat block, so everything that sort of falls here stays here. Mm. So it'll all... Got a very good use, I can assure you. And uh, the, the actual, like, I can imagine if you only had 101 millimetres for the year, the old uh, your ground cover would have been a bit sparse, particularly the last, uh, well, we've had a bit of warm weather in recent times. Yeah, that wind, uh, two days ago, that wind, it sort of blew here for about 36 hours solid, and that didn't help. This is quite a scrubby little block, so and it hasn't been stocked very heavily over the years, so there's a lot of ground cover and a lot of timber. It's a quite heavily timbered block, a lot of um, migrant rosewood and that sort of stuff, box trees, so it's uh, it's got fairly good cover and, like I say, we don't really try and graze it too heavily. So this will bring the country back and that, think of that timbered stuff, that does respond very quickly. We had a lot of young new growth from that rain a year ago, so there's an enormous amount of understory at the moment with uh, the not new foliage on it. So, yeah, this will, this will really bring all that stuff along, which is nice getting into the summer. And what are you running, dorpers out there? Uh, dorpers and a uh, few cattle at the moment. So we're running cattle on the western side because the uh, the elusive dog fence that was supposed to be built three years ago still hasn't been even started yet. So we can't run sheep out in that country. But I think that might be a story for another day, Schmitty. I, I won't talk too much about the dog fence, mate. <laughs> oh, I don't want to upset you this morning, but we, we did have reports, I think it was a week or two ago, we were running stories that there were huge gaps in that dog fence. Well, the New South Australian fence comes into Mulga Valley from the west. And then there's a 32 kilometre hole from Mulga Valley up to Linray, which is, you know, it's pretty concerning because at some stage, particularly now there's had a bit of rain down this way, as soon as it starts bringing a few kangaroos down south, the dogs are going to follow them down. And they, yeah, we're all very concerned that once the dogs start coming in 
to New South Wales again, they're going to cause us massive problems. It'll certainly ourselves, Lynn Ray and Gum Park, we're the sort of first cow off the rank, so the dogs will come in and give us a fair old caning, and uh, there's only so much we can do to try and prevent them through, you know, baiting and trapping. So, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one, but uh, we just can't seem to get any action from the government or the appropriate soil conservation department. But um, sorry to hijack your rainfall post. No, no, no but it's true. Though. Uh, yeah, it's... no, it's, 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 a, it's very frustrating at the moment, it really is, and we don't seem to be able to get a, an answer from anyone about mm. it. It, uh, it, it is frustrating, and surely they're not still blaming COVID, but uh, we've been talking about this story for quite a while. And, like, a 32K gap, I mean, like, it's like putting out the uh, the open for business sign, isn't it? Oh, it is, mate. And the existing fence, like the guys at Mulliangri, who are our Western neighbours in Quinnaby, they do an unbelievably good job with their boating programs. If it wasn't for them, you know, we'd be in all sorts of strife, I think. But the existing fence, the one that's still that's supposed to be keeping the dogs out, to the west and north, you know, it's in a fairly, you know, sad state of disrepair. So, you know, it's, it's the shame of the South Australian government. They called a series of community meetings and within a couple of years that fence was built and they've done a really good job. The you know, New South Wales government made the decision three years ago to build this fence and all the materials are still sitting on the ground in South Australia. So, yeah, we just... If we can bang a few heads together and get some of these bureaucrats and government departments to get off their backsides and do some work, that would be a wonderful thing. That is Broken Hill Grazier, Paul Martin, speaking there with Andrew Schmidt. It's 19 past 12. The Country Hour. The Country Hour goes a long way to fixing our rural-urban divide. Connecting the country to the community. Good for the bees because it allows them to forage on other crops as well. The places. I'm told that's unprecedented for Menangatang. 200 people gathered here for a rally. The people. Heat range that goes up to the hottest in the world, which is the Carolina Reaper. The stories. And sharing ideas. The country hour. Most of us would have a sandwich and sit up against the stump and listen to that. Weekdays at noon. ABC Radio Emergency Information. There is a watch and act warning remaining for Kula Galite Road fire in the Bega Valley with people in Karaji, Baragabe, Mara, Bunga and Golan Head asked to monitor surroundings, look out for burning embers, changes in wind direction and smoke and watch for signs of fire in your area. Watch out for emergency services personnel. If you have left the area, RFS are asking you to stay away for now while property assessments are underway. The fire is over 5,200 hectares in size and continues to burn near homes in the Kadagi Baraga Bay, Mara, Munga and Golan Head areas. A southerly change moved through the fire ground overnight. This change brought cooler temperatures, increased humidity and some rain, which has resulted in an ease in conditions. Firefighters are working in the area to slow the spread of the fire. Authorities are urging motorists to avoid the fire area. This message from the RFS and Bega Valley Shire Council. Residents and motorists impacted by the Kulagalite Road fire due to current and forecast weather conditions there is an increased risk of falling trees and pockets of active fire do not travel if you are impact are in the impacted area stay put if you are not in the impacted area it is still not safe to return keep listening to abc local radio for regular updates 
Well, the Kula Galite Road fire on the far south coast has grown to more than 5,000 hectares, as we just heard, and while conditions have eased, authorities say they are not out of the woods yet. The RFS has confirmed that properties have been destroyed by the bushfire, and Marty Webster says while teams are still assessing the damage, he expects it to be in the single digits. Greg Lissaman from Mountain View Farm at Kula Galite grows tomatoes and basil in greenhouses and runs livestock, and he told Josh Becker. It was frightening to see the fire so close to the southern boundary. It was certainly the, um, very uh, frightening to, to see the, the fire so close, right on our boundary as it skirted us, um, and watching it overnight, uh, just watching to see what, what direction that wind would take it in. How close did the fire come to your farm? Uh, it's about uh, uh, under a kilometre uh, from the, our southern boundary. Um, so it crossed over through the National Park. Our farm is surrounded by, by Manga National Park. Um, and uh, so, and that was a park that didn't burn, uh, or that, this section of it, sorry, didn't burn uh, during the 2019 fires. Uh, so it really had a lot of fuel um, to get up a lot of speed in that space. So as it crossed from the farmlands of Kulagalite just over the ridge, it hit that, and that's what really gave it that power to go. When it comes to the, the damage from this fire, what are you hearing from uh, neighbours and, and people in Cooler Glide at this point? No, we've heard of some losses of stock and obviously very essential, essential feed and pasture. Um, so really I'm hoping that for everyone around uh, that these rains do come um, and that we actually get them in this area and uh, grow some essential pasture for everybody. I think there's going to be a lot of need for to see um, stock being fed going forward. What was your biggest concern with the fire yesterday? Uh, well, certainly the the um, seeing the scale of it uh, from our farm and knowing that it was heading into where people were living and people we know, but uh, those we don't, down at uh, towards Cutterji, uh, Barraga Bay. Um, that, but that was very frightening knowing that they were in the in the path of that. Um, in terms of the of our uh, situation, the the concern for our stock was our key thing. Um, so we had had brought all the stock to the safest place on the farm. Uh, we grow tomatoes in greenhouses, and we have a large area here that's kind of cleared of trees. And uh, we recently done a lot of maintenance to get rid of grass and any flammable things around the place, um, just to slash paddocks, etc. So. We've, um, yes, our, my concern was really for the animals. Um, I think that was actually what the hardest thing of leaving in 2019 was when we had to leave in the, as the fire was approaching, knowing we'd actually just had to leave them. Um, farmers have great care and concern for their animals. Uh, and it's uh, something that sits deep with you uh, as, you know, that you're, you're responsible for them and the care for them. And have you had any rain overnight at this point? Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at patches of clear skies. I really hope that uh, the uh, the drought-declared area of the far south coast uh, manages to get a bit of relief uh, sometime today. That would be great. Mm. And I understand uh, you're, you've got a fair bit of water on, on your farm. So were you, was that um, uh, handy yesterday for both yourselves and for the rural firefighters? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, we've um, we're a, a static water supply 
uh, we've got a, a 40 megalitre dam that's spring fed. Um, and so we pump that into big tanks around the tomato greenhouses and the fire trucks uh, were able to access that. So during the 2019 fires, uh, we had so 10 or 12 trucks on the property at a time. Um, and yesterday, the, a few of them had dropped past again just to touch base. Um, we weren't a priority zone because it was blowing south, so it's great. But they know the water's there and they can come and get it. And we've got um, uh, an area set up where they can have a rest stop as well. Is there anything else, Greg, people are talking to you about this morning as people are reflecting on, on this fire? Uh, I think it's interesting about how what it's brought up for people uh, and that really the, the effects of the 2019-2020 fires uh, definitely are still there and running deep for lots of people. Um, and just it was really wonderful to see community pulling together last night. Um, and it's really, it's really great to see that kind of kindness and care for each other in that space. So hopefully that, that keeps carrying this community through. That is Greg Lissman from Mountain View Farm at Kulagalite speaking there to Josh Becker. It is 25 past 12. Are you emergency ready? This summer, the risk of emergency weather conditions is high and the time to prepare is now. Everything you need to get ready is at abc.net.au slash emergency with checklists and resources to help keep you and your family safe before, during and after an event. And during an emergency, for important and timely local information, find your local ABC radio station. ABC Radio is your emergency broadcaster. Well, a state parliamentary inquiry is holding a hearing in Mudgee today looking at the potential threat posed by an approved lead, silver and zinc mine. The inquiry has been triggered by concerns about three mines in the Central West and the committee is looking at the human and environmental risks associated with gold, silver, lead and zinc mining as well as the regulation of the industry. Joanna Woodburn is covering the inquiry. Good afternoon, Joanna. Hi, Kim. So what has led the inquiry to focus on this particular mining project? So as you said, the inquiry is largely looking at three mines, but only one is actually operating, and that's the Kedia Gold Mine, which is near Orange. The other two mines that have uh, triggered the attention or caught the attention of this Upper House Committee are the Bowdens Project, which is at Louis near Mudgee, and the McPhillamy's Gold Project, which will be built near Blaney, so east of Orange. But today, being in Mudgee, today's hearing is solely focusing on the Bowdens Project. And it was approved earlier this year by the Independent Planning Commission, and it will unearth lead, zinc and silver. So it's called the Bowdens Silver Project, but the proportion of silver is a lot less than zinc and lead. And the community there is really concerned about the potential health and environmental impacts which could will will come in their words will come from dust um, lead being carried by dust from this mine because it will be an open cut pit so that's the crux of their concerns that dust carrying this lead will settle on their roofs um, on the ground and they will ingest that lead either through drinking water or breathing it in and one of the conditions that's been placed on that mine's approval is for voluntary blood testing to be offered to monitor the levels of people's blood in terms of lead levels. So who has the hearing heard from so far today and what were their main concerns? So largely a mix of local residents to the Louis district and the Mudgee district and also representatives from the the Vigneron um, horticulture and 
tourism industries. So we heard from people from the Mudgee Wine Association and the Australian Olive Association, and they were talking about the concerns that they have for this dust containing lead settling on the leaves, on their grapes, on their olives, and the potential contamination that could arise from that. We also heard from the tourism industry, um, a representative of the tourism industry who warned that this mine, if it is built, could irreversibly damage the brand and reputation of Mudgee for its food and wine. Um, And Lucy White, who used to be the head of the local tourism group, she told the inquiry that she didn't believe that the tourism industry had been consulted at all um, based on um, the number of jobs that it supports and, as I said, the reputation. We did also hear at the beginning of today's hearing from the Australian Workers' Union and that representative, Jack Ayoub, who's the New South Wales branch organiser, he did make the point that metals mining is very important to the New South Wales economy. It supports 8,000 jobs and he said it's essential for renewable energy projects, so to build solar solar panels, um, to contribute to wind farm infrastructure. But he did make the point that um, perhaps more needs to be done to oversee metals mining. He gave the example of a type of system in coal mining where they have check inspectors who are staff members who have legislative powers to take action if they see any breaches. And he said currently that system doesn't exist in metals mining and he recommended that that happens. And Joanna, just finally, what's the inquiry's next step? So um, it has a few more people to hear from this afternoon or in the next sort of hour from local residents. A veterinarian is also going to be appearing before the hearing. And then there's another hearing back at State Parliament later this month. And that is, as far as we're aware, the last listed hearing. And then the committee will go away, prepare its report to government with potential recommendations to address some of the concerns that have been raised. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Kim. That is Joanna Woodburn in Mudgee covering that state parliamentary inquiry, looking at the potential threat posed by an approved lead, silver and zinc mine. It's half past 12. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. And let's get the latest from the newsroom. Adam Story, good afternoon. Yeah, you got that little flourish at the end of the promo there, Kim. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> uh, the Prime Minister and the Premier Chris Minns are visiting the south coast after the uh, bushfire overnight where several houses were lost. Uh, we don't uh, yet have confirmation on the number, but uh, uh, it is believed a number of properties have been lost in that fire. Uh, it's burned through more than 5,000 hectares. It was downgraded uh, after breaking out, sort of uh, going to emergency level yesterday afternoon. It wasn't downgraded to watch and act until about 1.30 this morning. Now, they say the danger isn't over yet, but uh, some of the rain that's come through and the cooler conditions uh, have helped firefighters, but they say they've got a, a, a big job ahead of them actually, actually trying to put it out. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives won't be running for the position again. This was after he was uh, voted out of the top job after being challenged by hard-right members of his own uh, Republican Party. They weren't happy with a temporary funding deal that he'd struck with the Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. So as we speak, the U- US House is without a uh, Speaker, but they will, revote, uh, will vote on a replacement uh, sometime next week. Who that will be 
uh, we don't know. There's a lot of wheeling and dealing to be going on um, behind the scenes before we know um, what the outcome of that will be. Uh, back home, the Electoral Commission says there have been no reports of clashes between yes and no voters at a referendum pre-polling booths. Those booths opened in New South Wales. Uh, yesterday, some voters alleged they'd been turned away because they're wearing yes t-shirts, but uh, the AEC says the uh, rules ban any display of material that encourages people to vote either way. Uh, authorities in Venice have described the scene of a bus crash that killed at least 21 people as devastating. The bus broke through the barrier and plunged near railway tracks. Uh, officials believe the bus was filled with foreign tourists, some of whom were from Ukraine. And also uh, overseas, the former crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried, his trial is underway in New York. He used to run one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges, FTX, and is now accused of stealing billions of dollars from customers and investors. And there'll be more news at one o'clock. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Adam. Appreciate it. No worries. That is Adam's story there with the news headlines. Kim Honan with you for the country. I will check in with the weather shortly, but um, some texts in Chris uh, just wondering if we're going to get the forecast. 20 millimetres at Forbes, not a drop so far, says Chris. Um, Dave from Trundle says huge wind gusts and downed branches, but very little rain with a power blackout um, there at Trundle. Um, Rodney says there's been eight mills here west of Lake Cargelligo. Uh, that's all so far for the rainfall readings, but you can send me a text on zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. But uh, let's get the latest from the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, Chris Webb. G'day, Kim. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Lots happening across the state: rain, fires, damaging winds. <sighs> That's right. Um, yeah, pretty much all of those things. I'm afraid uh, there's a strong cold front. Um, and low pressure system over sort of the central part of New South Wales and some pretty significant widespread uh, showers and rain associated with that with localised thunderstorms. So um, you may have already read them out, but there have been some pretty pretty uh, heavy totals in the 24 hours to 9am with um, Deniloquin with 72 millimetres, the highest in New South Wales that I'm aware of. Uh, Finley 58 millimetres, Yarrawonga 57, a couple of other notable ones. And yeah, pretty widespread, at least 20 millimetres through the southwest of the state based on the Bureau's uh, weather stations. Um, now the system's moving slowly further east. It's not in any hurry at all. Uh, so it's going to extend to much of the rest of the state today. And we're likely to see some pretty widespread spread thunderstorm activity associated with that as well. Um, should it it's, there's some out there at the moment which should tend to increase during the afternoon in the form of a line north-south and extend eastward. Uh, yeah, already since 9am, still uh, looking over the southern inland, uh, Burndu, which is near, not far from Menindee, had 17 millimetres and Albury 16. So um, still some falling in the gauges. And it looks as though as the system moves further east today and tonight, the rainfall will increase further. Um, so about the ranges, um, western slopes and uh, adjacent plains uh, for the rest of this event, we're probably going to see something like another fairly widespread 20 millimetres or 20 to 30 millimetres. But as the system moves through the southeast, we're expecting um, a low that's in the centre uh, to intensify. And so we'll probably, be, probably have some heavier falls again through uh, the southeast quarter or so of the state. So it's possible that we could see some localised falls up to 100 millimetres about the southern ranges, south coast and southwest slopes. 
um, I guess particularly overnight tonight and first up tomorrow morning. Yeah, so a lot more to, moving through. Yeah, a lot more to come. Um, uh, yeah. Chris in Forbes wants to know when he's going to get his uh, forecast twenty millimeters. Yeah, be pretty confident of getting that this afternoon, and maybe even a little bit more. Uh, and what if, ab- if Chris happens to get a thunderstorm right on him? Yeah, and um, what about yeah? And what uh, about the, the other? Sorry, Kim. You go. Ah, uh, yeah. The other thing to note is that there's been a fairly remarkable temperature change to the west of the front. Uh, you know, we've had some pretty warm days over the weekend, um, warmer than pretty warm, hot, um, particularly over the inland, whereas at midday today it's only 12 degrees at Ivanhoe, 13 yeah. at Broken Hill, Daniloquin and Hay. Uh, temperature's still holding up in the northeast in some places. Um, but yeah, with the rain uh, and the low intensifying, so some stronger winds on the way, there is a sheep graziers warning out for much of New South Wales for um, colder, more cold windy and wet conditions, uh, as well as uh, an array of other warnings that I, uh, I could speak through. But what was your quest- question about? Uh, coastal warnings. Are uh, we seeing any um, coastal weather warnings? Uh, yes, there are. Uh, there are gale force winds expected along most of the coast, or south of the Macquarie Coast, really. Gale force northerlies and strong winds for, um, oh, yeah, I guess it's uh, pretty much the entire coast. I think it's only saved the far north that doesn't have a warning out at the moment. Other notable warnings, uh, there's a fire weather warning still for the northern slopes. Um, there's quite strong northerly winds up there ahead of that front. Um, there's also, uh, let me see, a severe weather warning. Um, it's for, for the southeast, say the southern ranges, southwest slopes and south coast for heavy rain. Um, tonight or late today and tonight but also for some other central and uh, uh, some other parts about the central ranges and adjacent coast for uh, strong to gale force winds or damaging winds particularly tomorrow morning as the the low that I mentioned a bit earlier forms and deepens Um, the thing about that at least is that the the low is expected to move steadily away to the southeast tomorrow so gradually during the day tomorrow the winds that will develop tonight, those westerlies, uh, post-frontal will gradually ease. But yeah, a period of you know, pretty strong winds, say particularly for the Illawarra, South Coast and Hunter, uh, first up tomorrow. So quite yeah, a few, few, yeah, few warnings there. Certainly quite a lot to, to keep our eye on. Yeah, I, I guess the other positive is that apart from a few coastal showers in the outlook period, um, yeah, it looks like uh, a, fe- a period of fairly benign weather for Friday and across the weekend. You know, nothing particularly hot. Uh, the wind's not particularly strong. And the showers, you know, a, f- a few about for the coast, but, you know, fairly typical stuff. Not much at all for the inland to come uh, right, for that Friday and weekend period. Great. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Bye-bye. That is Chris Webb reporting from the Bureau of Meteorology there. When we're out on the run, driving around, checking the cattle, we listen to the country hour. 12 o'clock, right on the mark. It is 22-1. Well, it's been a difficult five years for beekeepers, from droughts to fires to floods to varroa mite. Now with fire season underway, drought conditions in parts of the state worsening, it's fair to say beekeepers are feeling nervous. Australia's largest honey packer, purchaser and exporter knows all too well the impact the disasters are having on the industry. Ben McKee is the Chief Executive Officer of Hive and Wellness, which markets honey under the Capilano brand. Good afternoon, Ben. 
Oh, good afternoon, Kim. Well, who can forget Black Summer fires and how devastating it was for beekeepers losing hives and habitat? I guess, have we recovered from those fires as we head into these next fires? Well, we've had quite good rain since those fires and we were quite amazed how quickly a lot of the areas that were burnt did recover. Um, obviously, we're coming into what looks like a dry period now, which is pretty concerning, and we've got some early fires. But uh, definitely a lot of our regions recovered well um, with some really good seasons over the last few years. And have there been any hives caught up in the fires this week? Uh, mainly I'm thinking of the Bundjalung National Park up on the north coast. Yeah, so the area where it burned in the Bundjalung, there's a lot of bee sites to the south of that region. Um, so we were lucky not to get caught up in that. Um, it burnt uh, closer to Evans Head, but south of there is some of the best uh, manuka-producing country in Australia. So we're very happy to see that fire stop where it did. Yeah. And so how are beekeepers pre- preparing for fire? Do they? Is it just a matter of getting their hives out in time or somehow protecting that area around their hives from fire? Yeah, it's really hard for beekeepers because obviously people don't like, <laughs> well, the authorities don't like trucks running into forests to try to get bees out um, when, there's a, when there's a big risk. So um, beekeepers have got to get out as quickly as possible if there is a fire. Um, a lot of beekeepers put a fair bit of time into making sure their bee sites uh, are cut down and then they build their own fire breaks, so mowing the, the grass and everything around the, around the beekeeping site um, is a way to help protect um, from fire. So how, how concerned are you about the, you know these next few months ahead, uh, leading into summer, summer? Yeah, well, well uh, the, the black bushfire... Saturday bushfire period saw us lose um, 15 million hectares of, of native forest, um, which was pretty devastating. And um, the industry reported, you know, 100,000 hives being impacted by that. Um, wow. Either they either they were burnt or they were um, uh, rendered useless for some time while that while they lost all their field force. So um, that was probably the worst on record. It was the worst honey crop on record at that period of time um, for us and and with. We're celebrating 70 years this year, so that was possibly the worst time for our beekeepers ever. So that's not very far away um, in terms of people's memories, and um, we're just uh, hoping we get some rain and this extended um, dry that we're experiencing in northern New South Wales um, changes. Yeah, and what sort of impact you know, are the dry conditions having on honey receivals at the moment? Yeah, well, we're seeing our receivals slow. Um, we got 25 less honey than we anticipated in last month um, so it is having an impact um, it's also associated with the varroa um, incursion whereby a lot of bees were were um, held up for a little while not able to move um, as freely as they wanted to so there was quite a lot of hives in that in fact at one stage there um, there was 52,000 hives that were standing still so now that that's been somewhat resolved as we transition to management we're hoping to see bees move on to better conditions and a bit more honey produced. Well, let's hope so. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, Ben McKee.
no problem. That is Ben McKay, the Chief Executive Officer of Hive and Wellness, and I have no doubt that we will be hearing from him again as we head into and through summer. It is 16 to 1. Kim Honan with you for the Country Hour. Well, the group, a group of around 50 oyster farmers on the south coast have started an online petition to convince the state government to help them secure a lease. Crookhaven oyster farmers at Greenwell Point say their businesses are under threat because they can't get a straight answer from Crown Lands regarding their leases. Romy Gilbert has this report. After taking over her father's business, Jim Wilde's Oysters at Greenwell Point, Crookhaven oyster farmer Sally McLean fears for the future of her oysters. She says Crown Lands have advised her the sale of oysters from their farm gate is non-compliant. We've been here for 40 years. We've been doing the exact same thing for 40 years. It just um, it seems funny that it's all of a sudden that they've classed us as non-compliance. They've done inspections with us before. They know what we do here. The council know what we do here. Um, and, and to my knowledge, everyone was in support of what we do here. The group of around 13 family-run Crookhaven oyster farming businesses have a current head lease with Crown Lands, permitting oyster farming activities but not selling oysters to the public. Around three of the lots at Greenwell Point's Oyster Depot have a farm gate where many of the other farmers' oysters are bought and sold to the public. They call it retail shop. It's not a retail shop. We're here at a farm gate. Like every every um, industry or whatever you do, like you can go to... To the place and buy the oysters otherwise what what are we doing here just growing pets um you know like we need to be able to sell our own produce the farmers say they recently spent around twenty five thousand dollars in legal fees submitting sublease applications to crown lands but they were rejected they say they've been going around in circles with the state government department to try and find a resolution. Without a sublease, the farmers are unable to invest in their businesses and submit development applications to upgrade old buildings. Well, there's really, if we can't get a sublease, there's, there's really no sustainable future for us here because, um, you know, we, can't, we don't want to invest into something that, that might not be here tomorrow. Um, yeah, so it is important that we get everything right um, and, and be able to continue what we've been doing here for 40 years. Like this land down here was privately owned before um, Crown bought it. Um, and it was specially and specifically bought for the oyster farmers. Like, we developed this land, we dug the canals, we um, put all the electricity on, we done the sewer, we've been looking after this land, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a, we, we need a wayward forward, we need to move forward, we need to be um, sustainable and have, um, you know, just sustain for the future. Like this is this is a very important industry um, that we have in Australia. We're one of the most sustainable farm of aquaculture, um, growing oysters. Crown Lands says it's working on a number of planning and non-compliance matters that need to be resolved before subleases could be granted. The site is also subject to an Aboriginal land claim and a separate native title claim, which are currently being assessed. South Coast MP Liza Butler says it's a complex issue, but she won't let anything get in the way of oyster farming on the South Coast. The oyster industry on the South Coast is extremely important. As you would be aware, you know, uh, oyster industry between Sydney all the way down, uh, now we Greenwell Point is the first base of call and it's an extremely important industry and I'm doing everything I can to uh, iron out this issue which is an issue that has been going on for a number of years and was not addressed by the previous 
government. I have the Minister for Agriculture and the Minister for Regional New South Wales, Tara Moriarty, taking a lead role across a number of ministries. This doesn't just involve the Minister for Agriculture. It's a very complex issue and I can tell you as we speak today, they are working on it to unravel this mess that has occurred over a number of years. Remy Gilbert with that report and we'll keep following that. It is 11 to 1. Kim Honan with you for the Country Hour and um, Val from Baruga on Murray Southern Riverina, 75 millimetres up until 7am and she's had 10 millimetres since 04679 if you'd like to shoot me your uh, rainfall readings. Well, let's head to the state's beef capital now where preparations are already underway for the 2024 Casino Beef Week. Entries are rolling in for the festival's second annual potential show steer sale to be held in two weeks today following the fat sale. Last year, the sale saw 30 animals under the hammer with prices topping $3,000 at the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange. But due to the ongoing dispute between casino agents and Richmond Valley Council, this year's sale will be held at the Lismore Sale Yards. The coordinator of the sale is Tony Dean. Good afternoon. Afternoon. How are we going? Good. Was it a, a tough decision to move into Lismore? No, it wasn't really a decision that had just had something that had to happen. We worked with the auctioneers. The auctioneers are the ones that uh, work with the producers and find the cattle. So it was, it was really a decision. That's where they're selling their cattle at the moment and so that's where we're we're heading to Lismore. Hopefully it should be really great place, good location just before the Lismore show and yeah, good opportunity for some of the people that show cattle to come and buy some steers for next year's shows. Yeah, so tell me about that. What's the idea of the potential show steer sale? Uh, so the potential show steer sale is basically there to give an opportunity to you know, some the next generation in particular and our schools and any other I guess local producers that you know may not have the large numbers of cattle to produce their own steers of the quality that you need to go to Beef Week. You know our numbers are increasing at Beef Week every year, and the quality's you know improving every year. So it's important that we have quality steers. So this sale is a really big opportunity to you know for some of the people that might not get access to those sort of quality steers to to purchase them and be competitive at Beef Week next year. Yeah, and so how many um, steers did you, you know, uh, lock in last year and that came back for Casino Beef Week this year? Yeah, so we had just under half of the steers that we sold at the at the sale last year returned in 2023, which was great for our, you know, our inaugural, inaugural effort. And I think, you know, this year hopefully moving it, that's why we've moved it forward slightly to give people a little bit more time to prepare their steers and get them broken in and then back ready and ready to go for beef week and beef week next year for the cattle comps you've got um what forty thousand in cash and prizes up for grabs i guess that's probably the the, the highest pool yet yeah you know it's growing every year we've found fantastic support from our you know our sponsors uh for all of our events but uh it's our sponsors that make all that possible so the casino food co-op and our major sponsor and then along with all our other sponsors, like for our show and sale coming up, Maloney's Livestock and Transport and Riverine Stockfeed, you know, they support and make these events possible. So a big shout-out to all of them for their ongoing support. So the sale's all about uh, quality, not quantity. So you're hoping for around 30 again this year? Yeah, somewhere between 20 and 30 we're hoping for. So, and as I said, yeah, definitely 
we're looking for the quality. We want to be able to showcase the the best that we have on the on the coast. So it'd be great to see some good quality steers and heifers this year. And do you reckon we'll get those prices that we saw last year? You know, what thirty two hundred might have been the top. Yeah, well, we'd all love that, but uh, realistically, that's probably not going to happen this year. But uh, hopefully, we can get better than what the um, the market's getting and get the producers that are producing these quality steers and heifers a little bit more than they might normally get just through the, the standard market. And Tony, much of the north coast is either in drought or, or drought affected. And looking at the drought map now, even South Casino and East Casino are experiencing intense drought. Do you think preparing cattle for Beef Week next year will be challenging? Oh, definitely. I guess it makes it harder. The more longer the drought goes on, it's going to make it harder to get feed and your hay to prepare them. But you know, you know, I also look at it as another thing. Like for me, it's you know, the kids and that, that get a lot out of it. So, you know, it's these hard times when if we do go into drought, preparing steers and taking them to the shows, it gives the kids, you know, keeps them interested and makes it a little bit of fun rather than having to run around feeding your cattle and watering your cattle. So hopefully we don't get into a, into a drought, but there's also the positives too that come out of showing cattle, and that's why we do it. It's, it's the love of it. And it's fun. It's a, it's a hobby for most people. It's not something that we go out to make money out of. Um, we just do it because we love it. Great, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Excellent. Thank you very much. That is Tony Dean, the coordinator of the Casino Beef Week Potential Show Steer Sale. It's on a fortnight from today at the Lismore Sale Yards. You can find more details on the Casino Beef Week Facebook and website. It is 6 to 1 and time to head to the markets. And let's start in Lismore with the results from the cattle market there. Stephen Adams, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Lismore. Pen 650 mixed cattle back slightly on last sale. Quite a few plainer quality young cattle which saw trends vary, although drafts of better bred lightweight heifer weaners did sell to a dearer trend, as did the butcher cattle. Steer weaners 70 to 258 with heifers 88 to 200 cents a kilo, both the cheaper trends to restockers. Butcher veal rallied to sell 178 cents a kilo. Yearling steers to restock and feed 88 to 216 and plainer quality yearling heifers 53 to 190. Cows to a cheaper trend, although restockers and feeders put a floor in drafts of lighter cows to the paddock 58 to 120 and 82 to 112 cents a kilo to feed. Medium cows 128 to 150 and heavy classes 151 to 178. And let's head to Carcore Sheep. David Monk, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It was only a small yarding, but that was the best quality yarding of lambs we've seen at Carcor for some time with 2,500 head. There were some good heavyweight old lambs yarded along with a good selection of well-finished trade and heavyweight new season lambs. Trade weight lambs were up to $35 dearer with the trade weight new season lambs selling from 87 to 102 to average between 450 and 475 cents a kilogram. Trade weight old lambs sold from 43 to 122. Heavyweight lambs are up to $30 dearer if the old lambs weighing between 24 and 30 kilograms, selling from 110 to 148 to average 500 cents, while lambs over 30 kilograms sold to 160. Heavyweight new season lambs sold from 20, uh, 124 to 136. Oggets were $20 dearer, selling to $76. It was a very good quality outing of 1550 mutton where most grades were 10 to 20 dearer. Merino ewes sold from 23 to 49, while crossbred ewes sold from 16 to 60. Merino weather sold from $30 to $40.
This is David Munkett, CTLX for MLA. Thanks. Uh, and to Rob Pearce with the results from Cowra Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon. There were 2,000 lambs down by 2,000. Quality continues to be good for the for the 1,300 new seasons and heavy old lambs, and they're mainly trade and heavies penned. Medium heavy trade new seasons were 6 to 11 dearer. 2022 20, kilos, 98 to 103, 22 to 24, 110 to 125, averaging 450 to 4.75 cents. Heavy new seasons were 8 to 10 dearer, 24 to 30 kilos, 133 to 134, averaging 485 to to 5.05 cents. Heavy old lambs were 8 to 15 dearer, 24 to 26, 110 to 118, 26 to 30, 124 to 141, 30 plus topped at 156.20, averaging 4.60 cents. And mutton numbers rose by 9.20, quality improved, as did prices, lifting 10 to 30. Heavy merino use up from 41 to 70, averaging 200 cents. This has been Rob Pierce from MLA at Cowra. Great, thanks, Rob. And let's head to Yas, where Graham Richard has the sheep results. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers east slightly to 6,200 and included around 1,800 new season lambs. The quality was better with not as many secondary lambs penned. New season lambs were mostly trade and heavyweights and most of the old lambs fell into the heavyweight category. The market lifted 20 to $25 on the new season lambs and the heavy old lambs. New season trade weights, 20 to 22 kilos, 104 to 122, the 22 to 24 kilos, 113 to 125, heavy weights to 26, 121 to 133, and those over 26 kilos reached 143, most average 490 to 530. The old two-score processing lambs were up 15, 32 to $56, medium and heavy trade weights, 86 to 120 and average 440, the heavy weights 101 to 130. Hoggets lifted $30 and reached $97. Mutton gained $15 to $20 ahead, the medium weight cheap, 39 to 54, heavy crossbred ewes, 48 to 69, and heavy merino weathers reached $84. And this has been Graham Richard. Thanks, Graham. And to Mossvale Cattle, David Kent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Kim. Numbers were back by 200 for a total yarding of 741. Fair to excellent quality cattle. There were some outstanding runs of well-finished bee muscled yearlings to process, reaching 374 cents, along with a few good pens of feeder heifers. Young cattle returning the paddock were well supplied and there were 101 cows. All the usual buyers were operating with some extra restocker interest, selling to a mostly stronger market. Prime Vulus reached 326, B muscle trade yearling steers sold from 324 to 356, C muscle steers up 5 to average 290. Yearling heifers to process also dearer 140 to 374. There was not enough feeder steers to get an accurate quote. Feeder heifers up 18, 130 to 219. Weaners returning the paddock attracted more interest. Well-bred steers, $1 to $2.16 cents per kilo, and the heifer portion, 88 to 154. Heavy-grown heifers up to 20 cents dearer, 160 to 215. Lighter two-score cows back 10, 60 to 100. Heavy sea muscle prime cows, 175 to 190. D3 and four-score cows, 101 to 155. Big frame cows and calves made from 710 to $860 per unit. This is David Kent at Mossvale for MLA. Thanks, David. And uh, a traffic warning, the Bruxner Highway is closed in both directions at Melangany, west of Casino, due to a truck fire at Richmond Range Road. Motorists are advised to avoid the area as there are no diversions available at this stage. Emergency services are on site working to extinguish the fire. More details at livetraffic.com or on the Live Traffic. New South Wales app. 
I'm Kim Honan. Thank you so much for your company today. Let's do it again tomorrow, hey? It's news time and one o'clock.